Thank you, Kerry, for doing the notices earlier. I've just got one of my own to add. Um, some of you may remember a few months back we did a sermon on a Sunday night on Job uh, about the weather. And um, somebody asked me, I did say I could produce the, the references for the different weather uh, patterns in Scripture and what they seem to mean from Scripture uh, on a piece of paper. And somebody asked me for that this week, and I've printed off just a few extras. If anybody wants them, I'll put them at the back uh, where the leaflets are, but they'll only be there tonight. All right? It's not an evangelistic thing, so I'm not going to leave it lying around. But if it's of interest to you and that you'd like to follow that up, um, you're welcome to take those at the end of the service. Let's come to the Lord now in prayer. Let's ask his blessing on the word. Father, the hymn writer said, take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. And that's my prayer now too. I pray that you bless this study in your word together. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking tonight at the book of Luke and chapter 5. So please turn with me there to Luke's gospel and chapter 5. I heard of a a pastor who was asked by a very keen young man in his congregation. He said, pastor, he said, I want to start doing evangelism. He said, do you have any tracts that you recommend? What do you you recommend as the best tracts to give people? And the pastor pulled out of his brief, out of his uh, jacket pocket, a little Gideon Testament. He said, I recommend these, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. (laughs) Uh, Still the best tracts and uh, the account of the life of the Lord Jesus is still the thing that saves more people than anything else. So we're looking tonight at Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 about the call of Simon by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him, that's around the Lord Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a, sorry, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Praise the Lord. Please keep your Bibles open there. 
I expect many of you know Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor, the man who was the missionary, uh, uh, great missionary leader in, in the, uh, uh, not last century, century before that, to China. And uh, his story is a remarkable one, how as a boy he was in the kitchen where his father and parents were talking with some other men about the Lord's work overseas and they said who will go to China who will go to China and the little boy said I will go <laughs> and uh, and the Lord obviously heard that because years later uh, Hudson Taylor became a Christian he became he wasn't converted when he said that he was just a, an enthusiastic young boy and he became a Christian uh, but he never followed up straight away with that uh, call that follow, uh, following on commitment to go to China. After all, he was only a boy when he'd said that. But when he was about 17 years old, he was sat in his bedroom one day. And as he was in this bedroom, he was sat there reflecting on his own spiritual life and reflecting on his battles with holiness. He wanted to be a holier person, but he just couldn't seem to get victory over sin and and to live a, a holy life. And as he was sat there feeling quite despondent, suddenly he had the very strong feeling that someone was in the room. Now, he, he hadn't opened the door, nobody had come in, nobody had climbed in through the window, but he was very conscious that there was another person there. And then he realised it was the Lord. The Lord was with him. And he prayed in his heart, and he said, Lord, if you will help me conquer my sin, I will go as a missionary to China. And the Lord said, go. And that's how Hudson Taylor received his call to the mission field. It's a wonderful story and and, uh, today the Chinese church is reaping the benefit of Hudson Taylor's work and his prayers. For every morning he rose and prayed even before the sun came up over China. Well we're talking tonight about the call of an ever great disciple, an ever great soul winner, the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter. Actually he's called Simon uh, four or five times in this passage and Simon Peter only once in verse 8. But Simon Peter, the great disciple who was the leader of the church. And this is a very key moment in Simon Peter's life. Now if you were to read Luke's account only you would think this was when Simon was converted. But uh, actually, Simon had become a Christian, I believe, before this. In John's Gospel, we read that when John the Baptist was on the banks of the Jordan and he pointed out the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God and he told his disciples to follow him, Andrew and John and the others went to follow uh, Jesus rather than John. And Andrew went and got his brother, Peter, and took him to meet the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said to him famously, your name is Simon, but you shall be called Peter. And uh, gave him that change of name. And I believe that's when Simon Peter was converted, when he became an instant follower of the Lord Jesus Christ at that point. But then we see in Mark's gospel that Jesus called Simon Peter to follow him Again, at another time when he was by the Sea of Galilee and he was uh, fixing his nets after they'd been fishing or when they had been fishing. And the Lord called him and all the disciples to become fishers of men. And then in Luke chapter 4, we see that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick and the Lord Jesus healed her and was evidently staying at his house in Capernaum. And now in chapter 5, we have 
the main account about Peter, which is found in no other gospel except this one. And uh, it's when Peter received his call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, full time as the disciple who would be the lead disciple out of the band of 12. And it's a key turning point in Simon Peter's life. Why did Luke record this and not the other Gospels? Well, my thought on it is that Luke especially is keen on on the spread of the Gospel. He's very keen on the, the church's mission, going out to the world, and his reaching out to the Gentiles. And the book of Acts definitely records that. And uh, the first 10 to 12 chapters record Peter's part in that especially. So Luke definitely had a very great interest in Peter's conversion, even though Luke is often more associated with Paul than Peter. And so he records this story of how Simon Peter received his call to become a fisher of men, to go and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to have a look at this tonight because I think this is incredibly exciting. It's a a passage of scripture which is full of interest for us about the Lord Jesus, about Simon Peter and God's working in his life. But also because the Lord may be touching our hearts and lives about serving him and moving into a greater depth of service. You know, in this passage, the Lord Jesus said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for, the, for a catch. Sometimes the Lord says that to us spiritually. Go deeper. Go deeper than you are. Go deeper and start to serve the Lord more than you have done. And it's my prayer that perhaps the Lord Jesus will be ministering to our hearts tonight. To lead us on to follow him in a closer, greater walk uh, than we've had before. So I'd like to see four things about Simon Peter's call here. First of all, I'd like you to see these like stages. He heard Christ's preaching in verses 1 to 3. He experienced Christ's power in verses 4 to 7. He realized Christ's purity in verses 8 to 10. And he followed Christ's plan in verses 10 to 11. You'll see this takes us through the passage and it shows us how the Lord dealt with his disciple. First of all, then, we see he heard Christ's preaching in verses 1 to 3. And really, this is following on uh, with Luke's uh, account of the Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee. If you just turn back to the previous chapter, chapter 4, you'll notice at the end of chapter 4 in verse 43... Or verse 42, it says, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. The Lord Jesus was on his great Galilean mission and he was going around the synagogues and the towns of Galilee preaching the gospel. And here Luke records how Jesus then came and preached by the lake of Gennesaret, as he calls it here in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, so it was the, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake 
of Gennesaret. It makes me smile that Luke, who was perhaps far more travelled than the other disciples, doesn't call it the Sea of Galilee. He says, I know what the sea's like, I've seen the sea. This is a lake. And he's the only one who calls it a lake. <laughs> uh, but the others call it the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, as in John's Gospel. But Luke calls it by its old name, the Lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret comes from uh, the old Hebrew name, uh, Kenareth which was its name in the Old Testament. And there was a fortified city on one of the corners of that. And Gennesaret is a sort of corruption of that into uh, the language that Luke was writing in, in, into the Greek. And Jesus had come and was standing by the lake and was preaching to the crowds who had gathered there about him. It's interesting, if you go to uh, the Lake of Galilee today, you'll see that there are multitudes of tombs to rabbis around the Lake of Galilee, especially around the Tiberias area. And it is a place where the rabbis used to go and teach. And therefore the Lord Jesus was uh, in a place where he knew people would be listening to his word and he wanted to reach the people. And he was preaching with such power that the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God. What an amazing thing that is. Reminds me of that time when he was in the house at Capernaum and they came and they filled the house and nobody could even get near the door because there were so many people who came to hear him. What an amazing thing that must have been to have seen that type of response to the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. But while he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, it says in verse 2, and saw two boats standing by the lake. And when I was working on the Greek for this this week, I'm not an expert in Greek, but I always try my best with it. I noticed the parallel is almost is word for word the same in these two verses. Just as he stood by the lake, he saw these two boats standing by the lake. And uh, there's, a, there's a pattern of what's going along here. And Jesus is standing there and he sees the two boats that are standing by the lake. And with the crowd pressing around him, he needs to put some distance between himself and the people. I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to a group of people when they're pressed up close to you. It's very, very difficult to do that. It's very, you don't want to shout in someone's ear. And uh, you want to be able to see the crowd. You want to be able to raise your voice to speak to them. So he needed to do that. And so he saw these boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And this was Simon Peter and his friends who are mentioned later on in verses, verse 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and probably Andrew too, although he's not mentioned specifically in this text. And it says they were washing their nets. And it says in verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So the Lord Jesus got into Simon's boat and he turned his boat into a pulpit. And uh, it always reminds me of, of a church I saw once, which was a fisherman's mission. And I can't remember if it was in Weymouth or somewhere in Cornwall. Uh, but I, I remember looking through the window or, or going into this little church. And it was this fisherman's mission, it, it had a pulpit which was the the front of a boat and it was against the wall and, and the pastor or whoever had to get up into the little half of this boat to preach and it was like that when the Lord taught because this is how he reached the people and uh, he used that as a pulpit to speak 
to the people. It gave the distance. It would have given um, sound advantages as well. Across the water, his voice would have carried with even more clarity, and the cove he was in would have had excellent acoustics with the people there. So using every natural advantage as well as his own divine power, the Lord Jesus Christ is ministering to the people. But this is actually how the Lord starts off reaching Simon Peter. And what he does is a very wonderful thing. He asks to borrow Simon's boat, and in doing so, he has a captive audience. Because by asking Simon Peter, can I use your boat to speak to these people, Simon isn't going anywhere. And he's staying there to listen to the sermon. And while he's washing his nets, preparing uh, for the next day's work, because he didn't have a very good night fishing, as we'll see later on, he's listening to the word of God. And you know, the Lord is so wise and skillful, isn't he? When he's working in someone's life to bring them on in their, in their faith, to bring them on towards greater service and commitment to him. Where does he always begin? He always begins with the word of God. Because the word of God is what feeds us and builds us up and prepares us for what's going to come. And Christ himself was a preacher and proclaimed the word of God. Charles Simeon, the great preacher of of old, said the purpose of preaching is to humble the sinner, exalt the saviour and promote holiness. And no doubt the Lord Jesus' own preaching did that perfectly. You see, the Lord Jesus was not a messenger from God, but he was God with a message. And he was able to proclaim himself and preach to the people. And Simon Peter was soaking up these amazing truths about the Lord Jesus, thinking about them. And later on, the Lord was going to back those up by the acts that he was going to do. And I just wonder tonight, is is the Lord speaking to somebody here in their lives and saying, look, I want to use you, I want to pick you up and use you, I want you to go deeper into me. And you say, Lord, where do I begin? You begin with listening to the word and soaking in the word of God. Reading your Bible and listening to the teaching of the word of God. I wonder, does the word of God thrill you like it should do? You know, in the 1930s, the people around Niagara Falls on the 29th of March, sorry, 1948, that's not 1930s at all, 29th of March, 1948, the people around Niagara Falls uh, who every day heard the distinct sound of 500,000 tonnes of water per minute flowing over Niagara Falls woke up to an eerie silence. Niagara had stopped flowing and it was silent. And for the first time, they were aware of what they were missing. What had happened was back up at Lake Erie, some ice had come down the river and it had formed uh, like a, a blockage and was stopping the water coming through. And for 30 hours, there was no flow of the Niagara into the Niagara Falls. And the people, for the first time, began that sort of feeling of, where's it gone? All our lives living here, we've heard that, and now it's gone. You know, I hate to say this, dear friends, sometimes it can be like that with the Word of God, can't it? You know, we've grown up perhaps listening to sermons, listening to the preaching of the Word of God. And sometimes when the Lord uh, will perhaps even uh, move us out of a situation or move away someone from a situation, we no longer have the preaching of the Word of God. Suddenly we're like, whoa, where's it gone? 
And the thing we valued that we didn't realise was so precious has been taken from us. Don't throw away the opportunity you have now. God is giving you an opportunity to grow by studying the word of God and feeding on it. And if you're not an avid Bible reader and a Bible student, that's where you need to begin. Your own daily quiet time walking with the Lord. Have you got your own Bible? It amazes me how many Christians don't even own their own Bible. I remember when we were in our, our first church where we used to, Heather and I went out before we got married. And uh, uh, I, was, I was talking with one lady she's, uh, after the service and she said, I've just got to talk to my mum before she goes. And I said, yeah, sure, no worries. And she said, uh, I've got to get the Bible. She said, I'm doing Sunday school next week. And she said, and I haven't got one. And she's got it and, and we take it in turns. And I remember thinking, how can you teach Sunday school? You don't even own your own Bible. We had a Christian bookshop in the town centre. Bibles, you know, have never been cheap, but they weren't that expensive. And yet, it wasn't high on the priorities. I used my money for other things. Do you have your own Bible? Do you study it? How much time do you give to God's word? It's where the Lord begins when he wants to build his people up. If you haven't got a Bible yet, do all that you can to lay your hands on one. I read a lovely story just this afternoon in a book. I always have a little rest after lunch. And I read a little book that had a story in about a young lad called Charlie. And in the olden days, they used to go to the grocery shop and they used to wrap everything up in newspaper. And they didn't have carrier bags and things like this. And he was sent by his mother down to the local grocery shop to get some soap. And uh, he put some money on the counter for some soap for his mum. And the lady had a big old book and she ripped out a page and started to wrap the soap up in it. And he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm wrapping up the soap. He said, but that book's a Bible. She said, yeah, so? He said, you can't wrap up the soap in the pages of the Bible. She said, I can she said, I need paper, and I bought this old Bible, and I'm going to wrap my goods up for giving to my customers. He said, that's the word of God, you can't do that. And he was in tears, he said, listen, he said, please, he said, if I can get the money, will you sell me that Bible? I want a Bible. So he ran back home to his mother and said, mom, can I have some money for a Bible? She said, I ain't got any money. So he went back to the lady and said, please, can I have that Bible? She said, no, you can't have it. She said, but I'll do you a deal. She said, if you find me the exact same weight of paper, then I'll do an exchange. Because I need the paper to wrap the goods. And so that boy went scrounging newspaper and scraps of paper from everywhere he could. And he was seen walking back to the shop with this huge weight of paper that he collected from everywhere. And the lady put it in her scales. It matched the weight of the Bible and the Bible was his. He went home in tears rejoicing. He had a Bible. And it was safe from being wasted. (laughs) So, dear friend, if you haven't got a Bible, make sure you've got one. And start studying and feeding. He heard Christ preach. He heard him speak through the word of God. And God wants to speak to your heart. To build you up to. To prepare you for serving him. Second thing we see is that he experienced Christ's power in verses 4 to 7. Because it says in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now the Lord Jesus uh, was no man's debtor. 
And having borrowed Simon Peter's boat, he was going to give him his fair pay for the use of the boat. And he was going to pay him as a fisherman who would best be paid in a good stock of fish. And so he gives this call, and it's a divine call, to launch out into the deep and let down his net for a catch. Now, this broke all the rules of fishing. Because fishing on Lake Galilee was done at night. Two reasons for that. Number one, because when you're out in the heat in the middle of the lake, there's no shade. There's no tree to go and get under. And you're there and you've got the sun burning down your back and pulling up. They they found bones of fishermen. And fishermen always either have bad backs uh, or or, or strong muscles (laughs) in in their strength. Because it's a a strong weight pulling up uh, water, wet nets full of fish. And uh, so... Because it's such hot, tiresome work, they normally do their work at night. It also is because the fish are higher up in the water. In the heat, they go down lower, where it's cooler, and also they're out of sight. But in the dark, they feel safer to come up. So uh, it was at night time that normally the men went out fishing. But the Lord Jesus called Simon Peter to launch out in daytime and to let down his nets for a catch. And look what Simon Peter says to him. Verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now the word master there is a very interesting word. In Greek it is the word epistates. And it means uh, like somebody who's a superintendent. Someone who's in charge. Someone who's an officer in control. Perhaps we would say this of a boss in a company. And he's saying... In effect, you're the one who's in charge. But he said, I'm just telling you, we've worked all night and we've caught nothing. The fish aren't biting. Uh, Warren Wiersbe makes the comment. He said, if I'd toiled all night and caught nothing, I wouldn't be washing my nets. I'd be selling them. (laughs) But uh, Simon Peter had just washed them and they were ready for tomorrow night. But he says this. Now, listen to this. Nevertheless. Draw a circle around the word nevertheless. Scroggy says in his commentary, he says, nevertheless is the great word here. If none of your actions proceed from a nevertheless, they will always fall short of being heroic. It was that nevertheless which was an act of faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will. And those are five words to underline as well. George Duncan, a famous preacher of the past, said, How these five words could change our lives if we dared to utter them honestly and without reserve to Jesus Christ. To say, at your word, I will. (laughs) I wonder if you're willing to say that to the Lord. But this is what Peter said, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And so Peter was willing to step out in faith to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an act of faith because there was no obvious signs and it didn't follow uh, the normal pattern of doing things. And the carpenter told the fisherman how to do his job. But look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, so their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began 
to sink. <laughs> they experience Christ's power. You know, fishermen today have got it very easy. Uh, your local angler, if he's uh, got the money, can buy one of these. It's a fishing drone. You know, they're everywhere, these drones, aren't they? They're even under the water. And the fisherman can send a drone down and he can look for where the fish are under the water to, to know where to put in his line. And it's supposed to be a help. Well, they never had those on the Lake of Galilee and the Lord Jesus didn't, didn't use one. And it wasn't a case of Jesus could see on that side of the boat they were there and Simon Peter was looking over there like an idiot, looking in the wrong place. That's what you hear non-Christians say about this passage. These fish were down deep, but Jesus brought them up into Simon's net. He drew them by his sovereign power into that net. And of course, this was going to be a picture, wasn't it, of what he was going to do with Peter's preaching. He was going to draw souls, uh, fish, men to Jesus through Simon's Peter's preaching. And Peter was going to catch men like he was catching fish. And there were so many, their net was breaking. And that's an incredible strain on those nets. And not only were the nets breaking, the boats were sinking. And these miracles of the fact that it wasn't the normal way it happened and the fact that there were so many fish when they had fished all night showed Simon Peter that this was an act of God. Dear friends, I want to say this. When the Lord is calling us into his service, we need to experience Christ's power. We need to experience Christ's power. Simon Peter could say, I know he's real. And I know what he he, he can do because I've experienced it myself. If you've never experienced Christ's power in your life, don't step out into service to tell somebody else what you don't know. And the first way of knowing his power is to know him as your saviour. To ask him to give you a new heart and to give you eternal life. And then to start praying and serving God through a life of prayer then you'll have a testimony to be able to share with others. This is so important. Each one of us needs to be ready to to say what the Lord has done. And this was going to be Simon Peter's testimony, which convinced him of the Lord's power, uh, that he was the sovereign Lord who was able to control even the fish. And by the way, there's a good gospel point here as well, because if you think about it, Simon Peter had laboured all night and he caught nothing. And that's like man, isn't it? It's a bit like uh, uh, the older brother. You know, the older brother wanted to get everything by his hard work. I've worked all these hours for you and you've given me nothing. And the prodigal son comes home and he gets it all by grace. Well, that's what Peter experienced. I've worked all night and I've caught nothing. And Jesus does it and it's a miracle by grace. (laughs) And what a gospel point. You can't get it by your work. You can get it only by grace and receive God's gift, salvation through faith in his son. So say to the Lord, nevertheless, at your word, I will and watch his power flow in your life. Thirdly, we see he realized Christ's purity. And this is in verses 8 to 10. The next step begins in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, when Simon Peter was in the boat, he not only had that encounter with the miracle power of the Lord Jesus, but he encountered the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. 
And this was, I believe, when he realized who he was in the presence of. You know, one of our deacons often prays in the, in the vestry beforehand, before we come into the meeting, that we will remember whose presence we're coming into. And that's what Simon Peter found when he was in the boat. He'd seen Jesus do miracles before. But this miracle impressed upon him not only Christ's power, but his divinity and his holiness. You notice he didn't call Jesus master this time. He called him Lord, Kyrios, the word which is the equivalent of Jehovah in, uh, in Hebrew. And he recognized Christ's holiness. And that brought out a contrast in his own heart. Calvin said in, in uh, his... Uh, Institutes, he said that we cannot conceive God in all his holiness without feeling ourselves in our own sinfulness. And that's what Simon Peter felt. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And his theology was good. He didn't say, I've done sinful things. He said, I am a sinful man. Do you want to know why you do sinful things? It's because you are a sinful person. You have spots because you have measles and you commit sins because you are a sinner. And that's what Simon Peter felt. He felt his, whole, his sinfulness in Christ's presence. It was very much a parallel with what happened with Isaiah when Isaiah was in the temple and he saw the Lord Jesus on the throne. And he said, woe is me, I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And like Job, when Job saw God at the end of his book and he said, I realize now I'm vile. He saw his contrast with God in the presence. And this is what Simon Peter realized and how important that was before the Lord Jesus could use Simon Peter. Because you see, Simon Peter needed to be able to testify to the grace of God. He was going to stand up and preach the gospel. But he had to be able to preach of a grace which he himself had received. He had to be able to speak of a Christ who forgives sinners. A Christ who saves even those who stumble and fall like Peter did. And Peter's cynical, we've caught all nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. In faith, but, you know, nevertheless. And you can almost hear the frustration in it. He realises whose presence I'm in. And it's humbling to him. You know, we need to be able to say the same. We need to realise Christ's purity and power. And ask him to make us what we should be. The natural tendency is to say, depart from me. And it's interesting, Peter didn't say what the uh, other people in those days used to say about the Lord Jesus. They wanted him to stay at Cana. They wanted him to stay at these places so he could do miracles for them. Peter realised the revelation of this was he was in the presence of a holy God. And he said, go from me, go from me. I'm not fit to be in your presence. But praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus doesn't walk away from sinners who know they need a saviour. And the Lord Jesus stayed with Simon and had greater plans instead to turn his life around. Friends, I want to ask you honestly, and be judgment day honest. Have you seen God in all his holiness and yourself in all your sinfulness? If you haven't, I have to say, I don't think you're yet a Christian. Because you know neither God nor yourself. 
Only when you can say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, will you be then ready to be received by him as a sinner coming to him for salvation. You know, every sin you have committed has been seen by the Lord. I heard Adrian Rogers say this once in a sermon and it hit me. He said, you know, every, every crime has been committed in the face of the judge. What an awful thought to realize that is. And the Lord is the Holy One whose life, who will examine our lives and hold us to account if we're not saved. But if we turn to him and ask him to save us, he'll wash us clean from our sins and make us usable like those nets that were washed clean, ready for the Lord uh, to fill with fish. So may you come to know the Lord Jesus as your saviour. May you taste his power. May you realise his purity and humble yourself before God and be ready for him to use you. Until you can say that I have known grace, you can't point others to the Lord for grace either. The final thing we see here is he followed Christ's plan in verses 10 to 11. Now I missed out verse 9, so let's back up there as well. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And the word in the Greek there is a word for really like an earthquake type emotional experience. And verse 10 it says, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had forsook their boats, they brought their boats to land, they forsook all to follow him. The last stage was Christ's call to Peter to actually become a fisher of men. And uh, this wasn't just to Peter, it was to all those disciples as well. But Simon is the man in focus in this passage. And so it's especially him who we see. And it's interesting, in both the times when Simon speaks to Jesus and Jesus speaks to Simon, that's when the very name Jesus is used. You'll notice all the way through this passage, Christ is called he or him. But when Simon Peter gets honest before Jesus in verse 8, it says he fell down at Jesus' knees. Fell down among all those fish at Jesus' knees as he sat in the boat. But it says Jesus. And now we have Jesus speaking. And it Jesus said to Simon again in verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. It's the personal moment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called Simon Peter to now on turn to being a disciple who would be a winner of souls. You see, as one uh, Bible student put it, I think it was Chuck Swindle, Christ didn't come to the Lake of Galilee to teach the fishermen how to be better fishermen. (laughs) He wanted to call them away into a different profession and by changing their lives, he uh, brought them to be his full-time disciples. So he said to them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of my presence now because he was going to be their saviour. From now on, you will catch men. And what a difference that is, catching fish to catch, catching men to catching fish. In one sense, there's a great parallel. You need similar skills. You need, you need patience. 
You need the wisdom to know when to cast the line in. Every good fisherman knows you need good bait. And uh, you need a variety of skills, just like we see in the Gospels. We see the net, we see the dragnet, we see the hook and line, like when Peter caught the fish with the coin in the mouth. All those different fishing skills were used. And an evangelist needs many different skills. But especially what you need when you're dealing with men is the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is something the flesh cannot produce. And the Lord Jesus was going to fill Peter on the day of Pentecost and all the disciples with him so that from then on they would be effective as fishers of men. And the great lesson Simon Peter had surely learned was this. I can't do it on my own. We fished all night and we caught nothing. How many preachers have said that? I've preached for years and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. And when God's in it, that's when the power is there. And uh, the Lord was going to use Simon Peter in that way. What a wonderful call. What a wonderful mission and plan the Lord had for Simon Peter to be a fisher of men. And they were committed to it. Verse 11 says, so when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. One commentator pointed out the great catch of fish would have paid for them to have gone into full-time service. And I've never thought of that before. Uh, The Lord undertook for the need for them to go forward. I wonder, are you willing to follow Christ's plan for your life? Are you willing to make him Lord? You know, many of us are willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my afterlife (laughs) when I die. But I don't want you to be Lord of my life now. But that's what he wants us to be. He wants to be that to us. He wants to be Lord of our lives now. He wants to own us and use us. Charles Wesley said, make me saviour what thou art. Live thyself within my heart. And when Christ comes inside, he gives us the power to follow him and to serve him. If you've not yet yielded to Christ's call, do so tonight. He's calling men still to be fishers of men, to follow him, and if necessary, forsake all and follow him, as Simon Peter and the others did. May the Lord bless this to our hearts tonight.